Before we get into God's word, <clears throat> let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Mm. You are our defender, our deliverer. You are the Almighty. No one can defeat you. And Lord, if we are on your side, who can be against us? God, I thank you that you are our commander-in-chief. You are the one we look to, the one we long for. And I pray this morning that we will come to realize how important it is to love you. And not just say we love you, but really love you. So open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Penetrate the hardened heart this morning. Soften the seared conscience. God, do what only you can do this morning. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hmm. Love. We have one word for love, right? Love. Now, isn't it funny? I mean, I can say, you know, I love my wife. And I love pizza. But I better not love them the same, right? But we only have one word. We have love. I love ice cream, and I love my kids. But I better not love them the same, right? There better be a difference. But yet we have one word to describe the word love in the English language, and it's called love. Now, the word love in Hebrew and Greek, there are numerous words. There's ahib, kava, racham. In the Greek, there's eros, phileo, and agape. And so we have a differences in love. There's different scales. There's different words for it. And the reason being is because we have to understand that not all love is the same. It's not the same. And the reason why I bring that up is because when we use the word love, we can confuse what God is trying to tell us. We can confuse what the Bible teaches because we misunderstand the conception of love. Let's be honest with us. Love, many of you think love is an emotion, right? How many of you think love is an emotion? Now that I've said that, you're probably going, no, 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 no. He's, he's going to tell me I'm wrong because I'm not raising my hand. That's a trick question. It's not an emotion. You say, well, what do you mean love's not an emotion? Because let's just be honest with you. If, if our love for our spouses was based on our emotion, how many of us would have a love-hate relationship every now and then? It's not, it's not an emotion, because, you know, marriage is tough, right? Same as with our kids, man. If it was based on an emotion, it would be an, a roller coaster ride we'd constantly be up and down on with them. Love is not about an emotion. Love is actually about a choice. It's a choice. I, I choose to love someone. I always hate when I hear people say, well, I, I fell in love. You know what that means? That means you accidentally just spilled into it. You know, you, you tripped. I fell in love. I didn't fall in love. I chose to love. I chose to love the one that God gave to me. When I got married and I put the ring on her finger, what I said was, I'm going to love you forever. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. I love you forever. And I just told her, you know, and, and isn't it funny how the, the longer you're married, you just kind of let yourself go. Anybody else done that? Because I just told her, you're stuck with me, baby, you know. But love, I mean, love, we use a word, and it, it, it's so different to so many people, but we got to understand what God meant when he talked about love. 
Because the passage we're going to look at today, I don't think many people realize how much it costs us to love God. You see, we, we talk about God's love for us, and yes, that is important. Please understand, the greatest love in all the world is God's love for us. We can't love him until he first loved us. He went and died on the cross for our sins. That's the greatest love there ever is. But we're called to love him in return. So what is that love? Well, I mean, does it mean it's based on an emotion? Can I, can I have days where I really love God and, and days where, you know, I'm just not so infatuated with God? Or was it based on a choice? We chose to give our hearts to him. Is it purposeful? Is it meaningful? What is this kind of love that we're called to have towards God? That's what we're going to talk about today because we're going to look, and I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. We're going to talk about a familiar church. And we're going to talk about something that if we're not careful of, we can fall into the same spectrum. And I believe, you ready for this? I believe many of us have. I really believe many of us have. In fact, I might even go so far as to say most of us have. So let's read this together. Revelation 2, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 6. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden lampstick, candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But thou but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The series that I'm planning on preaching for the next six weeks is simply called Why Revival Tarries. Why Revival Tarries. And his first message is simply entitled First Love. Revival tarries because we have, in a sense, left our first love. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, we're going to talk about that for some time. We're going to look at two lessons about leaving our first love this morning. The first lesson we're going to look at is the concern for leaving. Look at verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. How many of you remember the first time telling your spouse, I love you? Can some of y'all go back that far? Can you go back a little bit and remember? Do you remember what it was like that first time you said, I love you, and then you stood there and you waited for the response? And you couldn't wait for them to go, thanks, I appreciate that. Right? Or the better one is this, well, I really like you. No, we're hoping for the response in the return, right, of I love you. They go, I love you too. You remember what it was like. You, the butterflies just floated up in your stomach. Your heart was beating a lot quicker. And once they said it back, it's kind of like there was a release. You knew that they reciprocated the love. There was something about it that first time. The thing is, is over the years, it gets a little bit easier to say I love you, doesn't it? 
We don't worry about them reciprocating the term back. We don't worry about it being a little, that it's been lost. We, we just say it and we expect that we're going to hear it back because we're married to them and, and it's just gone on and on and on. And the thing is, is with our love, sometimes as it gets older and older and older, it just gets easier. And you ready for this? It can even get stale. Same thing happens with our love for God. It gets easier and easier and easier because we just become stale in our relationship with God. And it happens, and, and that's what happened to the church of Ephesus. You've got to understand the church. This church was an amazing church. You've got to understand it was founded on Paul's second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18. He was wrapping up his second missionary journey. He goes and he founds the church, and he starts this church in Ephesus. He leaves some great leaders with them, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos. We also see that in Acts chapter 19, when he goes on his third missionary journey, uh, Paul there, he, he converts many of John the Baptist's disciples, and so some great things are happening in this area in the church of Ephesus. In verse 9, it tells us a little bit more in Acts 19. It says, And when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way, before the multitude he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannaeus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So there were some amazing things going on in this church. He stayed there. Paul stayed in this place for two years. Now before that, I think Corinth was the longest church he had stayed at. Now he's staying two years. And here's the thing, it says, and all of Asia heard. Now how does that mean all of Asia heard? That means that those who heard Paul's message then went out from there and started spreading it all over the continent. They wanted everybody to hear what he was teaching. So this all started in Ephesus. Ephesus was a mission-minded church. They were a church on fire for God. They were seeing souls saved. They were even seeing miracles. Look at verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So there were miracles that were happening in this church. God was doing a mighty work. In fact, some people wanted to try to replicate the miracles. The sons of Sceva, right after this, they try to cast out demons in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul. And they say, well, Jesus we know and Paul we know, but who are you? They try to replicate it. They try to do some things. Then there becomes this massive riot in Ephesus. The people are mad because they're burning their books they're turning away from idols. They're giving their money to the Lord. Things are happening. The city is changing. And let me tell you something. When God begins to move, Satan does too. He's not happy. He gets furious. He gets frustrated. And he wants to stop the movement of God. So a big riot happens in Ephesus. They're trying to defeat the Christian church. They're trying to cast them out. They're trying to do all, cause all kinds of problems. And guess what? Paul is just, he's not worried about it. He just keeps preaching the word. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, he comes back to the church of Ephesus as he's going back to Jerusalem to encourage them, to lift them up. This was a good, good church. In fact, he even writes a book to the church of Ephesus, and it's the book called Ephesians. And listen to some of the things he says in there to the church of Ephesus. Verse 15 of chapter 1. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. So it was a church that was known for love. You love each other. You care for one another. You support one another. Ephesians chapter 3, 17 to 19. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. 
may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 23, he says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesus was known as a church of love. Ephesus was known as a church that was really a tremendous church that was making an unbelievable difference. And yet when we come to the book of Revelation, about 30 years after Paul wrote the book of Ephesus, we find they have left their first love. 30 years. 30 years, something's changed. Something's happened. What's happened? Time. Time. You see, that's the problem sometimes when we become Christians and we grow up in our faith and we live a long time in our faith, it can become stale. It can become dead. It can become loveless. And that's what he's telling the church. You've left your first love. A church that once loved is now loveless. They've fallen away from the things of God. We see the command that is given to all people in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30. He says, love the Lord your God with what? All your heart and soul and mind and strength. What does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, it's real easy, right? I mean, we can go around and we say, well, man, I, I love you with all my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength. But each element meant something different. To love God with all one's heart meant to love him with the core of one's identity. The heart was the source of thoughts and actions. God said, whatever comes out of man's mouth comes from his heart. You want to understand that sin and unrighteousness can come from the heart? Just as thoughts, processes, and who we are comes from our heart. As a man thinketh, so is that man. God says he's searching for what? He's searching for the heart. When he went to pick David, he said, don't look as man looks. I look at the heart. God knows who we are. It's the core of all that we are. It's everything that we are. He said, love him with all your ability. We're called to love him with all our soul. Our soul is the seat of our emotions. The seat of our emotions. When was the last time you cried to God? When was the last time God broke you over your sin or broke you over somebody that was lost? You see, when you're in love with God, God uses your emotions. He will use them in a mighty way. We're called to love him with our emotions. Man, I love it. We, we had a couple of guys getting a little rowdy over here just a minute ago. Did y'all hear that? They got a little rowdy over here. But you know what? I love it. I love it. You know why I love it? Because, you know, it's so funny. In a book called, by Leonard Ravenhill called Why Revival Terries, he said, where Mr. Amen and Mr. Wet Eyes are not in the church, revival will never happen. Never happen. Some of y'all are going to get rowdy tonight about 6 o'clock, aren't you? You're going to skip church and watch some game? You're going to get rowdy tonight. When I get rowdy in God's house, it's okay to get excited. I love it. Man, they were excited about what was going on in the choir. Man, what a beautiful, beautiful song. But we're called to love him with the seat of our emotions. Our emotions get, up us, get us up out of our seat. Our emotions get us to where we're excited for God. Our emotions bring us to the point where we are just thoroughly enjoying the presence of God. He says, love him with all your heart, all your identity. Love him with your soul, all your emotions. Love him with all your mind, which is your will and your intentions and your purposes. What is your will to be here today? What was your desire in coming to church this morning? Did you say, man, I, I can't wait to go and hear what Travis sings today? Right? Oh, I can't wait to hear what David leads the choir to sing this morning. 
Oh, I can't wait to hear a message from the Word of God this morning. What was your will? What was your intention? Was your will and intention to be in the presence of God or just to come to church? You see, if you're in love with God, your desire is to meet with God today. It's not to leave here and have an expectation that as long as I go to church, maybe God will show up. I want God to show up. I want God to move in every heart. I want God to change every life. That's my desire. That's my will. That's how I love God is I want God to move. I want God to change. I want God to correct. But you got to love him with your core of your identity, your emotions, your will and intentions, and then with all your strength. That means with all your physical energy. With all your physical. How many of you leave church exhausted? You ought to leave church exhausted. I do. You gotta leave it exhausted. You say, well, what do you mean leave church exhausted? If you've praised God with all your might, you're gonna go home and need a Sunday afternoon nap, not just because you're used to getting it, because you're exhausted. You're war slap out. I tell you, I love it when I get up some mornings and I just wake up. I'm like, man, I just don't want to get out of the bed. I am so tired. That means I spent myself for God and I'm just fine with that. How about you? You see, when you love God with all your strength, you are so spent. Genuine love for God is intelligent, emotional, willing, and active. It will exhaust your every being. Look at me in 1 Corinthians 13. You'll talk a little bit more about love. Let's see what real love is all about. 1 Corinthians 13, listen to this passage. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, let's just go ahead and call it what it is. The better translation is love, all right? Charity is a terrible translation of that. Have not love, it's the word agape, divine, godly love. I have become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have to get the prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. You understand what he's saying there? I can communicate with every person in the world. I can, I can share with you, and you can understand my language, and I can understand your language. But if I don't do it out of love, it's useless. If I don't do it from love, it's absolutely useless. And then he says this. He says, and though I can prophesy, I can stand up here and preach all day long, but if you don't see my heart of love for you and for the Lord, it is useless. Useless. And though I have all faith to believe that God can move mountains, man, I can have mountain-moving faith. I can believe that God can do miracles, but if I don't have any love, it's useless. I can go give everything that I own to the poor, but if I don't have love, it's useless. I can even be martyred for my faith. Can you believe somebody would die for their faith even if they don't have love? And yet it happens. He says it's all useless without love. Now look at this definition in verse 4. Love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. It beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Love never faileth. Man, it suffers Man, if anybody's ever suffered, it was Jesus when he suffered on the cross for you. That's love. It puts up with us. Not only does it suffer, but it's kind. It goes above and beyond what anybody asks or thinks. Love doesn't envy, nor does it desire for others to envy it. 
Love is not prideful. It is not seeking its own. It's not unbecoming. It doesn't desire evil. In fact, it stands against iniquity and rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It's trusting. It's caring. It's enduring. It will never, ever fade. So that means our love for God should never fade. It should never grow stale. And yet this church was experiencing that. But don't you, let's go, keep going in 1 Corinthians 13. But where there are prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but... When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away with. In other words, you've got to understand that every gift that's talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 will be done away with. But you know what's going to last, what's going to remain, what's going to be forever? Love. You know what's going to be in heaven? Love. You know we won't need the gift of tongues in heaven because we'll all speak, you ready for this? The same language. It'll go back before the time of Babel. You know that we won't have to prophesy Why? Because all prophecy will be fulfilled when we get to heaven and all we'll need is love. We won't serve one another in heaven. Why? Because it'll be a glorious place where we're worshiping and glorifying God. We won't need to give away our goods because we'll own nothing. We'll have everything at our, foot, at our feet. We'll have everything we need in life. And we won't have to die either. Why? Because there'll be no death. There'll only be love. I love verse 13. Now about his faith, hope. And love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love. Let me just tell you something this morning. If you don't love God like what I've been talking about this morning, then it's time to get right. Then it's time to get right. You say, well, maybe it's just, maybe my, my candle is just burning a little low. Well, then let the Holy Spirit fan the flame and you get right. Stop holding on to your little candlestick that's about all the way burnt down and allow him to fill you back up. You see, that's the problem. So often we'll make excuses. Well, brother, you just don't know what's going on in my life. Well, brother, you don't know what's going on in my life. I used to love uh, Johnny Hunt, the guy who was at that simulcast. He made a statement one time. He said, he said brother, he said, he said, how do you stay on fire for God? He says, real simple, I never let anybody put it out. I never let anybody put it out. You see, we've got to love God with everything that we are. So we see the command. We also see the carelessness. Look in verse 2. In Revelation 2. I know thy works and thy labor. This comes from the word kopos, which means to toil, to labor, to sweat and exhausted. I'm going to tell you something. You can serve in the church and yet still not love God. You can serve in every capacity of the church and still not love God. You can sing in the choir and not love God. You can serve as a deacon and not love God. You can teach in a Sunday school class and not love God. You can serve in the nursery and still not love God. He says, I've seen your works and your labor. I know your toil. I know your hardships. I know the way you have served me. I know the way you've worked for me. But yet you've left your first love. You can serve in the church. And some of y'all may say, well, brother, I, I do everything. I'm here every time the doors are open. Very good. You're a Pharisee if you have not love. 
You can serve in every capacity. And if you have not love, you're just like the Pharisees. And what did he say about them? He called them a brood of vipers. Well, let's go on. And thy patience. Patience comes from the word hoopamon, which means patience in trying circumstances and acceptance of loss and suffering. Man, you can even be patient. You can even have the patience of Job and undergo all kinds of suffering and lose everything you have. You can go through all of that, but if you have not love, you're wasting your time. You're wasting it. He goes on. See what else they did. He says this. And thou canst not bear them which are evil. Well, that's kind of an easy one to do without love, right? When you want to point out everybody else's wrongs. Right? That's an easy one to live with. I'm going to tell you, if there was ever a truer statement made about a Pharisee, it's this one. Pharisees added laws to God's word so that people would mind and do what they wanted them to do, but then didn't do it themselves. You can, be all, you can point out everybody's evil, but if you're unwilling to turn the finger and look at yourself and start judging yourself and start getting your heart right with God, stop pointing the finger at everybody else because you don't have love. You don't. He was telling the church, please understand, these are the words of Jesus to the church. He goes on, he says, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. In other words, you can even have spiritual discernment, and you can understand that there are wolves among the sheep, and you can know that there are people among the flock that are not living right with God, but if you don't have love, you're still in trouble. And that's not it. Let's go to verse 6. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Who were the Nicolaitans? They were a sensual people, unrestrained in their love. They believed in Christian liberty, that they could do whatever they wanted. As long as they believed in their hearts about Jesus, they could live and do whatever they want. This sounds like a lot of people today, right? Man, I can, I can give my heart to Jesus on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday are mine. That's not love. You see, I don't love my wife one day a week. How many of you love your spouse one day a week? Would that work for your spouse? I don't think so. It's got to be every day. It's got to be all the time. Every minute of every day of every second, it's got to be all the time. Love never fails. But these guys believed in Christian liberty. They were self-indulgent. They could go live and do whatever they wanted to do. That's how they live. Now, here's what I want to tell you when it comes right down to this. Was there ever a time in your life, in your Christian walk, that you were happier in your relationship with God? If you can say the answer is yes, then you've left your first love. If there was ever a time where you were deeper in the word and you spent more time with God and you didn't want to get past it, you didn't want to leave that time with God, and you can say there was a time in your life when you were deeper in God's word and yet you can say that's in the past, then you have left your first love. If you can ever say that there was a time in your life where you spent more time in prayer, more time on your face before God, and yet you have left that time because you're too busy or you've got too many things going on, I'm here to tell you, you have left your first love. If there was ever a time where you were more concerned about lost people and you shared the gospel with people, and yet now you're not doing it as much, I can tell you, you have left your first love. 
If there was ever a time where you loved God more, and yet now you love him less. Some would say, oh, well, my, my love for God is more mature now. No, it's just more stale now. If there was ever a time you loved him more, then you've left your first love. Let's look at the correction to return. Look at me in Revelation 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. The first thing is to remember. First thing is to go back. Just the questions I just asked you. Remember, when was a time? When was a time in your life that you spent more time with God? When was a time you were more joyous in your relationship with God? When was a time? Is there a time you can remember? You got to go back and remember. Can I tell you that when my wife and I were dating, it didn't take long for me to know that I loved her. In fact, I took, I was a youth pastor at a church, and that summer, Julie and I had only been dating for maybe two months, and I took this youth group to youth camp. And when we went to youth camp, uh, they did not allow phones. Now, back then, they, guess, I know this is going to tell my age, there weren't any cell phones. There were, there were mobile phones, but there weren't cell phones. So they had, a, they had a phone on the camp, but they had told the youth, they said, nobody can call mommy and daddy. And they told the leaders, nobody can use that phone except the counselors. Day three rolled around, and I had not talked to my girlfriend. I snuck in. I found the phone. I was the disobedient youth. Of course, I was the youth pastor. And I snuck in, and I got the phone, and I called her. And we talked because I had not talked to her in three days. Now, I knew I was in love then. Why? Because, guys, we don't like to talk on the phone, do we? We'll play video games or whatever while they're talking to us, right? But I couldn't wait. I had to talk to her. And that's what you got to remember. you got to remember from where you've fallen before you can ever go back to that point. you got to remember that time, why you were so in love with God, why he was so important to your life, why you couldn't get away from God, why you couldn't get off your knees, why his word meant so much to you, why those people who were lost meant so much to you. you got to remember so that you can get back to that. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Get this, and Repent. Repent. That means turn. Simplest way to understand repent is I'm going in this direction and I go in this direction. It means not only do I apologize to God, it means I turn around so I can go back to God. We got to repent so that we can thirdly return and do the first works or else I'll come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Go back to thy first works. Return. Get back to where you once were. In other words, in your relationship with God, it ought to get deeper and better every single day. One of the greatest examples of love I ever saw was in my first church. Their names were Dot and Dewey McNeil. Both of them have gone on to be with Jesus now. Dot and Dewey McNeil were both in their 80s when I got to that church, and they just, they loved each other dearly. In fact, they loved each other so much that when they both ended up in the nursing home, they ended up in the same nursing home, and they were supposed to stay in separate quarters, and they wouldn't. 
But I remember one time I went to go see Dewey because Dot had gone to the hospital. So I went to go see Dewey, and I went and saw him, and I could just tell he didn't want me there. And it was all because Dot was in the hospital. And I said, Dewey, would you, would you like me to take you to the hospital to see Dot? Boy, his expression changed real quick. So I said, okay, well, let me, let me call your son, and let me make certain he's okay with me taking you to the hospital. And, of course, he was. So I took Dewey up to the hospital. We, the whole time, all he could do was talk about Dot. Now, they had been married over 60 years, over 60 years. We get into the room, and I let Dewey go in first, and I just kind of watched. And he walks in. He pulls up his chair right beside the bed, and he grabs Miss Dot's hand, and he kisses it. And he says, I love you. And he kissed it again. He said, I love you. And he kissed it a third time. He said, I love you. And he just held her hand for an hour and didn't say anything else. That's love. 60 years and he's still holding her hand like when they were dating still kissing her like when they were dating still loving on her do you love to hold God's hand do you still love to have the kiss of God upon you do you still love to spend time with him do you love God more than anything or has there been a time in your life where you love God more? If that's true, then you've left your first love. Revival will begin when we remember, we repent, and we return to our first love. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. The church of Ephesus was an amazing church. It really was. It was a church that was on fire for you. And, and how could it not be? Had some of the greatest leaders ever. Paul, Apollos, Aquila, Priscilla. John even became an elder of the church of Ephesus. But they had lost, they had left their first love. Lord, I know today there are many sitting in here, if they're honest, they would say we've left our first love. There was a time where they were more in love with you. Father, I just pray that you help us to remember, to repent, and to return because we do desire revival. Move in this place as only you can this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, maybe you don't have a love for God, period. Maybe you've never loved him like you're supposed to. So maybe today is the day you need to give your life to him. Maybe today is the day that you need to say it's time for me to surrender, to give him my all. You'll never find a greater love in all the world than the love that Jesus has for you. You won't. There is no greater love. And maybe today you need to know him as your Lord and Savior. So I pray today you'll come. I'll be down front. Some of our deacons will be down front. Our staff will be happy to share with you how you can have that relationship with Jesus Christ. But maybe today you simply just need to return. You can honestly look back at your life. I want you to remember. I want you to go back. Remember, was there a time you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now?
There's a time you spent more time with him. You may say, well, man, the altar's already getting full. That's okay. We'll fill the aisles. Let's go down the aisles. Let's just get right. Let's remember, let's repent, and let's return this morning. If we want to see revival happen, then we've got to get to where we are in love with God in such a way that he changes and transforms our lives every day. If you need to come and pray, we'll pray with you. We'd love to. And maybe God is calling you to become a part of our church to use your gifts and your talents here. We'd love to have you join with us. Will you come this morning? Will you come as we stand and we sing, have thine own way.